Well, good morning, Grace Church. Uh, it is good to be with you again. I always enjoy the opportunity when I get to come up here uh, and share with you. Uh, as Pastor Ray said, I am one of the pastors at Worship Center. I'm the global and local outreach pastor at Worship Center. Uh, but I am really uh, excited to be with you. And uh, I'm actually going to be talking today about being a bridge builder, being someone who builds bridges. I wonder if you've had some of the same experiences that I've had over the last little while that when you look at the world today, there's just so much division, so much division. Political division, of course, there's division around social issues, there's racial division, and of course, we've got all the division that has come with COVID, with walking through a pandemic. Uh, in my role uh, at Worship Center, I get to interact with all of our missionaries and global partners. I was uh, actually, along with my wife and family, we were missionaries for a number of years as well before coming back to the States. And this uh, recent time period, when several of my missionaries would come home, when they would uh, interact, they would come back to the United States after a period of time being around, uh, being away, being overseas, several of them... They would be home for a couple weeks and then after a little while they would come up to me and they would just, they would pull me aside and they would kind of lower their voice and they'd say, Chris, what is going on? What, what is happening? Because they began to find that things had drastically changed over the last months and years since the last time they were back in the United States. And they were regularly finding themselves in conversations that they kept uh, going into those territories that are now off limits. And all of a sudden they would be like, I just started talking about this or that. And all of a sudden I realized that was a explosive issue. And in my family and my friend circles, there, it was just all of a sudden everything was off limits. There were so many things that I had to avoid now that I didn't know you don't talk about those things anymore. Because they just said, what? is going on. I think we are definitely living in a season of division in so many ways. And, and you know, this opposition or, or having different viewpoints, we expect that we are going to have different views or different thoughts than those who are not a part of the kingdom of God. That's normal. We know that people who don't hold to some of the Christian values that we hold to are going to think differently than us. But I think the unique thing right now is that that division is not limited to people who are not a part of the kingdom. Right now, we're seeing division in families. We're seeing division in friends. We're seeing divisions in the church. And when you see division in the kingdom of God, that's really hard. It's really difficult. You know, I want to talk to you today about two women, two women uh, that are mentioned in the book of Philippians. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, this was a church that is, was located in what is now known as modern-day Greece. And this would be a church that Paul started, that he planted himself. But then it was probably the church that he had the closest relationship with. Uh, it seems like the church in Philippi supported Paul's ministry perhaps more than any other of the churches that he planted. Well, towards the end of this letter, Paul actually addresses two women by name in this letter. It seems like they were likely leaders in the church. They definitely had some responsibility. 
And it's very clear that they were having a problem with division. So let's, let's see what he says to them in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. This is what Paul says at the end of this letter. He says, I plead with Iodia, and I plead with Syntyche. Those are two names that are not the easiest to say. Uh, if you're looking for any baby names, I don't know if you'll choose those. I plead with Iodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. The New Living Translation actually uh, uh, says it this way. It says that Yodi and Syntyche need to settle their disagreement. Settle their disagreement. So these two women, there's obviously a conflict that's going on, and Paul calls them out publicly. Can you imagine that? The way that the Philippian church probably received this letter is that it was sent to them and someone probably stood up in front of them, just like I'm standing in front of you, and read this letter. Imagine when it got to the part in chapter four that these two ladies are addressed. Imagine sitting there today and all of a sudden you hear your name mentioned, not just from somebody like me, but from the apostle Paul. He calls them out publicly he asked others to help them. And it's not that these women were immature. It's not just that they were, you know, the, oh, these weak women, they're off doing all this stuff. They were leaders in the church. And they were having a disagreement that was affecting the gospel. Paul calls these ladies his co-workers for the gospel. Now, we're going to come back to these two women in just a few moments. But before we do, let's talk for a minute about the opposite of division. Let's talk about unity. Let's see what this actually is that Paul is calling these two ladies for. This challenge for unity in the Greek in that passage in Philippians, it actually says that they are to seek for sameness, that these two women are to pursue sameness. Well, some of you might be thinking, sameness, yeah, I like that. If everybody just thought like me, we'd have a whole lot less problems in this world, right? I don't think that's the sameness that, that Paul is after here. I don't think that's the sameness because that would go against so much of what God has instituted in Scripture already. God has never been a God of sameness. But what he wants us to, to pursue is this idea of unity in the context of diversity, and of differences. Think about when God created the world, he created male and female. They were equal in the image of God, yet they were distinct and different in their maleness and their femaleness. When he created uh, the world, he created it to have many nations and many languages, one people, but diverse in that. Even God himself is a picture of unity and diversity. We have one God, who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Unity and diversity. So the idea of if everybody just was just like me, that's actually not a biblical idea. So this sameness that they are being challenged to pursue, it's in the context of their uniqueness. It's in the context of their diversity. You know, unity is not where everyone thinks exactly the same on every issue. That's not unity. 
That's actually in, in business or something. We would call that groupthink. Uh, in the church, that's actually a sign of a cult or a sign of abusive leadership if everybody thinks exactly the same. That's not what God is after. So how do we challenge ourselves to grow if we only have people who are just like us? We actually grow when we hear different perspectives, when we see different ideas, when we see that diversity that God is after. The number one image in all of scripture for unity is the body. One body, many members, many parts functioning together. So as we pursue this idea of seeking for sameness, we have to see that this comes not with the absence of conflict, but it actually comes when we work through it. The sameness that Paul was wanting Yodia and Sintiki to pursue was that they would come together in spite of their differences, that they would walk through these things and resolve them. You know, in my uh, missionary career, I was involved in sending out a lot of uh, teams to different countries. And one thing that teams, when they go on mission trips do, at some point in the journey of preparation, somebody gets the idea, let's pray for this team to be unified. You know, it's like sometimes they stand in a circle, they hold hands. In the old days, we used to sing like Kumbaya, um, you know, bind us together, oh Lord. Well, I think it's interesting. Now, when I think about those teams praying for unity, I actually get a little bit nervous because I realize when you're praying for unity, you actually might be inviting conflict. Because unity is not the absence of conflict, but true unity really comes when you work through conflict, when you journey through that, when you get a deeper understanding. Those teams didn't know what they were praying for when they were praying for unity. They may have actually been inviting conflict. There's a passage in the Gospel of Matthew uh, that talks a lot about agreements and about unity, and some of these verses will be familiar to us. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. We love this verse, don't we? It's a picture of unity. It's a picture of agreement. It's a picture of the power of, of people coming together in prayer. But one of the questions I ask when I see that passage is, what were the two or three gathered for? Why were they together in the first place that resulted in them praying, that resulted in this powerful unity? Well, if you read a few verses ahead, you actually see what this verse is in the context of, and it might surprise you. If you read a few verses ahead, verse 15 and 16 of the same chapter, talks about something a little bit different than this agreement in prayer. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their faults just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The two or three that were gathered that we see is like powerful in this agreement of prayer, they actually were gathered first to resolve conflict. Then 
the agreement. Then the powerful prayer came after that. Isn't it interesting that we love the part about two or three gathering for agreement and prayer. We say yes and amen to that, but we kind of want to avoid the first couple of verses of the conflict resolution. We don't like that one as much. That's a little bit messier. Do you think it's possible that maybe some of us aren't seeing answers to prayer because we're not having the hard conversations that result in resolving conflicts and lead to understanding, lead to forgiveness, lead to reconciliation. Maybe it's not just praying together, maybe it's walking in unity together through the resolving of conflict. Unity is not the absence of conflict, but it's the resolution of it. And I think that is what Paul is after with these two ladies in Philippi. He wants them to resolve their differences. So if we go back to our ladies, what are some of the principles that Paul uses in this challenge to them to bring about a resolution of their differences? What leads them to this sameness that Paul is after? Hey, the first thing that I see here is that Paul encourages Yodia and Syntyche to focus on the essentials. This is something that Paul does repeatedly in his writings. They already had unity in the gospel. They were already a part of the same church. They were co-workers with Paul in spreading the gospel. So what things are already there that can bring about a sense of unity? The gospel essentials should unify us as believers. You know, this is not the first time that Paul did this. In the letter to the Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he's attempting to bring bitter enemies together in the same church. In the church of Rome, there was Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians. And these two didn't just disagree or dislike each other. They hated each other. They make the Republicans and Democrats look like buddies, okay? They hated each other, and Paul is using the gospel essentials throughout the letter to the Romans to bring them together. He didn't debate all the details. He didn't tell them who was right and who was wrong on various issues about food or about some of their cultural differences, but he zeroed in on the undeniable places of unity, the fact that all are sinners, that all are saved the same way, and that all are sanctified or become holy in the same way. That's how he brought them together, that the gospel should be a unifying force for us. You know, in this last uh, couple years, uh, we've seen a number of people move churches and, and change uh, churches. I don't know if this happened at Grace Hall, but it happened at Worship Center. I know it's happening at a lot of the churches we interact with. And I just, I'm not hearing a lot of people changing over theological things anymore. We used to see that. People would leave a church because of a certain theological view. But a lot of what people are leaving the church over now is political stuff or social issues or even different perspectives on the pandemic. The gospel should be a unifying force. And that is what should keep us together in the midst of our different opinions on some of these lesser things. The gospel has the power to do that. Paul made it work and he saw that fruit in Romans. Uh, and I think we can see that fruit today. Have you ever wondered if we could actually list the points where we agree with our enemies? 
The church should be able to do that better than anyone because we have the gospel to unify us. Regardless of what some of our political views are, some of our social views, we should agree on the gospel. Imagine if we focus more on the gospel, we agree on rather than the politics, the cultures, stuff, and the social issues that the enemy has used to divide his people for the last 24 months. Imagine if we could do that. So first off, I think Paul says that unity comes when you focus on the essentials. Second thing I think that we need to remember is that unity is evangelistic. Unity helps forward the mission of the kingdom. Paul had a mission in Philippi. A church was planted. The gospel needed to be spread among the Gentile people who were living in Greece. And this disagreement that these two ladies had, it had to change for the sake of evangelism, for the sake of the spread of the gospel. That's why Paul felt it was so important that he called them out by name because he knew what was at stake. If they could not get along, it would actually hinder their mission. It would hinder the spread of the gospel. You know, I think Jesus knew this well, that some of the last things that he talked to his disciples about before he went to the cross and then eventually ascended into heaven, he talked to them about the importance of unity, that it was absolutely mission critical. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 20, this is what Jesus prays over his disciples. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus knew that unity was mission critical, and he was speaking it to his disciples who had some differences. I mean, the original disciples were a, quite a unique blend of different cultures, different political views. They, they have tax collectors. They've got zealots. There's a lot of different things going on within disciples. Jesus knows that in spite of those differences, their unity is going to be essential to the future of the church. So much so that as we pick, continue on in verse 23, he says that I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them even as you loved me. Listen to those words, so that the world may know. I think that's what Paul's after with these two ladies, because it's not just about them fixing their differences. This matters to the kingdom of God. Friends, do you know that unbelievers watch how we treat each other? They do. Are we attracting people to the kingdom by what we say and by what we do to each other, or are we actually repelling people? What we do matters. What we say matters. You know, and some of the things that I have seen, that I've heard, that I've read over the last Many months, unfortunately, they haven't always been attractive. Sometimes they've been repellent, and I think that's really sobering. Friendly fire within the church can sometimes be even more destructive than our enemies attacking us from the outside. 
Ed Stetzer uh, recently wrote a book called Christians in the Age of Outrage. That's a good title. I just think it sums up a lot of what's going on right now. Ed Stetzer says this. He says, one of the biggest obstacles to seriously engaging the message of Jesus is the character and conduct of its messengers. One of the biggest hindrances to the gospel going forward is how we're behaving with one another online, with people who think a little bit differently than us. Our behavior today has the ability to put out a welcome mat for people to come inside the church, or it can have the effect of boarding up the doors and windows saying, people aren't gonna wanna come if they see that this is how we're acting. I've had a, a little bit of insight into the medical community lately uh, with some of the volunteer work that my wife has been engaged in. And it's been sobering to hear some of the stories of how Christ is being reflected to the medical community now. Unfortunately, Christianity doesn't have the greatest reputation in medical circles because of some of our strong opinions on different treatments and on COVID and on vaccines. And we can have our opinions, but when that opinion couples with the gospel, and it hurts the message of the gospel, we have to be really sober and really cautious about that. There are stories about pastors calling up doctors and screaming at them on the phone because they disagree with some of the ways they're treating their congregants. That isn't reflective of the God we serve. How can we keep unity and keep it being evangelistic even if we do have strong opinions? even if we do disagree with some things. John Tyson, pastor in New York City, says this. He says, the gospel disrupts. It does have different viewpoints, but it does not disrespect. And I think we need to consider, yes, we wanna stand in truth. No one, is, no one is saying that we don't walk in truth, but we have to do it in a way that is Christ-like. We have to do it in a way that does not disrespect. So unity, we gotta focus on the essentials. Unity is evangelistic. That's why Paul was so concerned about this. And number three, unity takes work. Division is our default because as sinful people, our default position is we are gonna drift away from people, not towards them. The moment that sin entered the world, we saw Adam and Eve drifting away from each other, not toward each other. We see them engaging in blame and shame and division and, and struggling for power. Sin does this. Unity or sameness that Paul is after, it's countercultural. It's not normal. It is swimming upstream, and that's why it takes hard work. We will drift towards division, but we have to walk, work for unity. Paul expresses this beautifully a few chapters earlier in the book of Philippians in Philippians chapter two, verses two through four, that before he calls out these ladies to unity, he gives a picture of what unity looks like and the posture that we should have. Philippians two, verses two to four says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. 
If we could just tattoo that verse on our eyelids, I think that would be helpful. Because we never run out of applications for the truth that is written there. So since unity is so counter nature, it's so countercultural, I think we also wanna make sure that we remind each other and remind ourselves that we need to extend the same grace that we would want to receive to other people. That when we disagree, when we don't see things the same way, that we still extend grace to each other, especially within the body of Christ. The fourth thing that I think Paul would encourage is that somebody needs to take the first step. Conflict does not just get resolved when nobody does anything. Someone has to take the first step. So Paul calls out these ladies. He calls them out by name. I urge Iodia, I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind. He asks others in the church to help them. But at some point, this conflict only gets resolved if one of those ladies takes the first step. I don't know if it's Yodia, I don't know if it's Syntyche, but one of them has to say, okay, let's talk. You know, it's so easy to say, well, I'm just waiting for them to come to me. Or, you know, if, they, if they're, they're really upset, they, they need to make the, the first move. Unity only happens when somebody takes the first step. You know, I have to look at my own heart to be able to share a message like this. How many people do I feel tempted to write off because I disagree with some of their views? Who am I not walking in love or in unity with? In order, in order to preach this, I actually had to have a few hard conversations where I had to say, you know, I need to take that first step and just make some things right. To ask for forgiveness, to bring some clarification on certain things. You know, this has been a time when there have been, in this season of division, there have been a lot of strong things thrown around. And for me, in my role, I, I, I expect opposition from the outside. I expect that. Like, of course, people who don't follow Jesus, they're gonna have different views. That doesn't surprise me. I'm not surprised when sinners sin. That's what they do. But opposition that comes from the inside it hurts, it really hurts. I've had to forgive during this time, things that were done or said. And I imagine Yodi and Syntyche, if, if I and the small things that I face wrestle through these things, I imagine they had to do it as well. I imagine one of them just going, well, let's just wait for the other one to go first. They can come to me. We have to be willing to take the first step. You know, one of the uh, things that came to mind as I was preparing this message was, um, there's a movie, it's quite old now, but it's this movie called Saving Private Ryan. Uh, some of you guys might remember this. Uh, if you don't, it's, it's, a, it's a great story. Uh, and it's set uh, during the invasion of Normandy during World War II. And the story actually follows a group of soldiers who are trying to locate one of their companions who has uh, been missing, that they go out to search for him. And so the journey of this group, it eventually leads them to find this missing soldier and they discover that he is guarding a strategic bridge. He's defending this bridge against the enemy. 
The mission of the enemy is to blow up this bridge and the solitary soldier was holding it down. And so his companions join him. You know, and in warfare, the destruction of bridges is a strategy because when you destroy a bridge, especially in that era of history, it, ice, it brought isolation. It crippled transportation. Uh, it hurt communication. Supplies weren't able to get in and out. It isolated and it disunified. Now, I know none of us are actually out there looking for bridges on the highways to blow up today, okay? PennDOT takes care of that for us. But I wonder if we actually do engage in bridge destruction by the words we say, the things we post on social media, some of the actions that we engage in. Maybe it's in our families, maybe it's in our friend circles, our workplaces, or even more in the body of Christ, in the kingdom. And I wanna ask us a question. Are we bridge builders? Or are we bridge bombers? The body of Christ, we, unfortunately, throughout history, we were very skilled in dividing ourselves. We divide ourselves theologically, culturally, politically. We blow up bridges over the gray areas of life that scripture doesn't specifically speak to. When we do this, we create islands of isolation, separating ourselves from those who think differently than we do. Sometimes we seek unity through political party membership more than we do through following Christ's commands. More than anyone, we as a church, we should be bridge builders, not bridge bombers. So if we go back to our friends, Yodi and Sintiki, these ladies were on the same team. They were both laboring as gospel workers, yet their issues were a threat to the mission of the gospel. So much so that Paul called them out. Paul didn't say agree to disagree. He didn't say sweep it under the carpet as we're so good at doing. He publicly stated what the church already knew, that these ladies had a division problem. They did not get along. I wonder, are we as committed to building bridges as Paul was? Even if it means addressing disunity. So in a season that we all agree is so divisive, and this is probably the number one thing the enemy is using to try to divide the church. Let me ask, are you a bridge builder or a bridge bomber? Am I a bridge builder or a bridge bomber? Can I invite you to stand with me this morning? As we've seen this example in scripture, we wanna bring it down into our own lives. This message of unity that, that Paul encourages these two ladies in, what, what's this saying to us? I wonder if there's somebody that God is asking you or me to take the first step with. Is there a conflict in, in our families or among our friend circles or maybe within the church even that God wants to challenge us to be willing to take that first step. What words or actions require an apology? Acquire, uh, uh, require us asking forgiveness? Or if that feels a little too strong, what words or actions just require us going to somebody and saying, hey, are we okay? 
Are we okay? Where do we need to demonstrate tenderheartedness in a world of outrage? Where do we need to extend grace the same way that we would want grace extended to us? So as the keyboard plays, I just want to take a moment where we just ask God. Maybe he brings a face. Maybe he brings a name. Maybe it's situation. But let's just invite the Holy Spirit to show us who he wants us to take the first step with. So let's just pause for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. So Lord, with those names or faces or situations that you brought to our minds, God, we know that unity is hard. It's difficult, it's not our natural posture. And so Holy Spirit, we cry out to you for strength. We cry out to you for boldness. We cry out to you for the ability to do what you've asked us to do. Would you empower us to do that? Would you give us the words to speak Would you give us the humility that is required in taking the first step, saying, I'm sorry, or will you forgive me? God, would you help us to do that? Because we see that unity is mission critical. Would you help us to do that among our body of believers, among fellow Christians? But Lord, if there's even people who aren't yet following you, Lord, may we walk in, make right whatever needs to be made right in those situations because we wanna see people come to know you. God, would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. I wanna finish this message and then invite Pastor Ray to come up. Just by praying a prayer together, I, I found a, a benediction prayer that uh, really resonates with this particular message. Uh, so I'd like to pray this over us And as you hear this prayer, just in your hearts, uh, let's agree with this, that we can be people who walk in unity. Jesus, the great physician, I want to intercede on behalf of the church. You know our imperfections, our flaws, and our problems. Help us to unite under your banner and to put aside our squabbles. Remind us that we are to have the same mind as that of Christ and to seek the interests of others rather than our own. The church is to be one body with many parts. Help us to unite around the sameness of the gospel and may our unity draw many to know you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen, Amen. Amen. Pastor Ray.